Hello everyone, welcome to another ByteMark special episode. For those of you who are just joining us, our special episodes consist of interviews with special people who have experience in and around uh, topics that are related to uh, game development and the game industry as a, um, as a whole. Joining me today is my special guest, uh, Daniel Arujo. Say hello, Daniel. Hello. <laughs> Why don't you introduce yourself to our guests? Yeah, sure. Um, so basically, I've been I'm a, a developer for about four years now. I I've been a mobile developer for about three and a half, and recently kind of pivoted away to uh, do more Ruby development. Um, and yeah, I've just been like very recently dabbling a little bit into game development, mostly like 2D games and all that, uh, teaching myself in my spare time. Uh, our users will be pretty interested to hear this, but uh, you're undertaking the tremendous and likely uh, soul-crushing task of porting Doom to Objective-C, I believe it is. Well, I tried. Uh, <laughs> I have to admit, like trying to configure a CMake to work with Objective-C is not easy. And so I kind of pivoted away from that, and I thought maybe I should try and modernize the C++ code a little bit, and then maybe I can work towards like porting it to, uh, like say, something like C-sharp or Java. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty lofty ideal, and uh, certainly a lot more grounded than, say, trying to port Doom over to a pregnancy test, although now that that has <laughs> been done, <laughs> um, yes. there really is no, uh, there really is no uh, limit. I, uh, I look forward to the day when um, we will be, just be porting Doom directly into people's brains. <laughs> oh, that would be that'd be great. I love it. I love my boomer shooters. <laughs> we definitely need to have you on again for an episode about boomer shooters. But uh, the topic for today is a little bit closer to home, uh, and that is talking about the hidden reactionary nature of uh, not only the video game industry, but I would argue maybe the entire big tech industry as a whole. Um, and uh, you are uniquely, I think, situated as this because not only are you a, a insider, you are a developer, and you've had quite a, a, a swathe of uh, experiences, uh, but you're also uh, an LGBT person. Uh, would you care to uh, talk yes. a little bit about that, please? Uh, talking about uh, sort of my experiences as an yeah, LGBT just, uh, person. Yeah, just uh, it, it, uh, give, us, give us sort of a feel of just from your personal experience, how, how it has been, uh, you know, because uh, you and I, we are quite old. Uh, <laughs> uh, you're a, <laughs> a little bit more than me. Um, have you, have you had a good experience or have you had a bad experience? So I would say mixed. Mm. Um, so, uh, particularly in like university, I was quite, uh, quite closeted, even though sort of in secret, I was quite active within like, say the South African, like bear community mm. and all that, you know, all that. Um, but within university, I was quite closeted and was kind of scared to, you know, sort of come out and likewise when i joined my first job i was very careful with some of the words that i use you know pronouns and i generally tried to steer clear of like talking about my personal life hmm. um and you know in hindsight you know probably it's something i should not have done um because i mean you know exposure you know allows <laughs> i think in general it, you you do find allies within a workforce um and you don't have to kind of hide but 
in my mind, my neurotic mind, I thought, you know, oh, you know, everyone's going to make my life difficult if I oh, yeah, no. come out. I, uh... So it's, it's only kind of later that I sort of became comfortable with that. Mm. But the kind of, you know, being careful with like your pronoun usages and talking about your personal life, I still find myself doing that uh, because, you know, you're trying to be accommodating to uh to everyone in the team and you don't want to make anyone uncomfortable but you know yeah it's uh it's quite a un unusual sort of state of affairs where we have you know people who are uh walking around on eggshells because um you are trying to make other people feel comfortable uh you know in a sense sacrificing your own sort of sense of comfort with yourself uh, and i i also in some respects have some uh, experience with that kind of uh, experience but uh, let's let's get into the the beginning of our topic, and of course, it's something that I think every person on the left who unfortunately goes on social media will probably experience at one point or another, and that is the quote unquote liberal bias of big tech. So oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's, it's laughable, uh, but that's what we're here for, actually. Um, so I think an idea has taken root in conservative culture, but also I think generally in an online space. And that idea is, so there is this, um, there is this idea that I think has taken root uh, that um, conservatives feel that they're being censored and that they're being censored. And the first piece of evidence that they would cite is that uh, the heads of, of many uh, large tech firms, you know, your Mark Zuckerbergs, your Bill Gates, uh, you know, those people are all quote unquote liberal. And so conservatism is never going to get a fair shake uh, in big tech, you know, that they're quote unquote going to be uh, censored. Now, this is, of course, on its face absurd. Um, we are not the people that have multi billion dollar oil companies, you know, backing our uh, every uh, show and, and, and so on and so forth. We, we, we are doing all of this um, <laughs> sort of by the seat of our pants. And uh, speaking of, you know, the link to the, the Patreon is uh, in, the, in the description. But um, there is this, nevertheless, idea that big tech is very liberal. Um, do you think that is a correct idea? No, not not currently, at least. I think um, so. Obviously, I don't I don't have exactly research for this. Just kind of speculation on like reading a lot of history about sort of the beginnings of tech from like the eighties onwards. Like initially, I would say like it was there were a lot of left leaning ideas that kind of sprung up. You know, with the you know, foundations of say Apple, and even if you read like say Masters of Doom, and you're mm. reading about the gaming industry, you know, even before its software became the sort of powerhouse that it was, um, it was a fairly, as I would say, liberal, left-leaning kind of group of just passionate developers. Yeah, I think. But... Um... Oh, sorry. Um, I. I, um... I was... I was just going to say that I think uh, the roots of this really kind of stem from the fact that many of the people in in gaming, in tech, are people who are outside the social power, you know? Uh, yeah. it, it's much less true these days uh, than it was previously, but, you know, in the 80s and the 70s, the people who are getting into tech are, you know, nerds. But they're not just nerds, they're also social outcasts. They are people who are ostracized yeah, from the... Um, from the... Uh, traditional Stage wheels stuff. of popularity. Um, now, granted, most of these people are still, you know, I hate to say this, but they are, you know, cis, straight, 
usually middle class and above, you know, white dudes. And mm -hmm. so they're not super ostracized. Uh, and uh, we will get into that a little bit more later. But they nevertheless are on the fringes of, you know, what's popular. They're not the quarterbacks. They're not the foot football guys, you know. And mm -hmm. when someone is in that position, it's very easy to, you know, develop like, uh, you know, a great example is probably John Romero, this kind of rugged sort of individualism where you you don't want to try to do what the crowd is doing. You want to reject, you know, quote unquote Christianity. You want to, yeah, uh, you want to, you know, think for yourself. And in a way that can really incline you towards some liberal values, but, but not others. Um, so... You know, another thing that I guess uh, is worth pointing out with a lot of these uh, big tech companies is that they don't really stay small. You know, as you pointed out, uh, if you read Masters of Doom, you get the sense that there are people making Doom, right? But nowadays, that that's yeah. not uh, not correct. Uh, could you maybe elaborate a little bit more on that? Well, so I mean, if we look at Facebook, like uh, as a sort of prime example, I think Facebook is going to be an interesting case study in future about how. You know, it started off as just a really small project for you to connect with your fellow classmates in university and college. And it soon ballooned into this massive advertising empire where you've got this uh, one sort of computer scientist basically uh, control, like running this big mega corporation who's in some ways, I think, trying to please everyone while simultaneously trying to make billions and billions of dollars and that just <laughs> doesn't gel well because oh, oh yeah I mean, especially in the case of say conservative media like you know that's where a lot of the money comes in where you know uh you know oil companies and just well just uh, big companies in general you know they don't like the idea of get, raising minimum wages and all that and hmm. so it uh, these tech companies at, at the end at the end really just are concerned about making money and less about you know um uh you know uplifting voices of marginalized groups yeah you know i i would my my counter argument to whenever a conservative tells me that quote unquote uh big tech is censoring them or something like that you know i would always point out that a uh no it's not uh you guys have a much bigger media presence online contrapoints uh the queen she has a million <laughs> subs but she's one of, uh, I think she's basically the only one, really, the only real, you know, uh, I would quote leftist uh, channel on YouTube that has a million subs. But how many YouTubers who are on the right have way more than that? Steven Crowder, um, exactly, uh, Ben Shapiro, and all of those guys. So it's like, no, no, no. ContraPoints is, is a two-woman show, you know. Steven Crowder is a media empire in a way. Uh, but the other point, and I think uh, which is also perhaps more uh, relevant, is... Conservatives just break the TOS. <laughs> the, yeah, no, one, exactly. Yeah, yeah, one of the reasons why they get thrown out of, you know, Stefan Molyneux is a great example, is because they just break the TOS. They can't help themselves. They can't help but just signal the most outright bigoted stuff, you know, imaginable. And, uh, you know, the truth is, you know, as you said, corporations want to make money. And it turns out that uh, you can make a lot more money if you appeal to the broadest amount of people possible than if you only increasingly target smaller and smaller markets. Um, exactly, yeah. Facebook uh, would not be the multi-billion dollar empire it is today if it only appealed to, say, white nationalists, even though it, it you know, it, it largely is a propaganda tool for them. You know, QAnon uh, would not have the life that it would had Facebook not been so uh, lax in its, you know, curation and moderation policies. Um, 
but yeah, yeah it's... definitely wouldn't have spread as far as it would as if you know they actually did their job <laughs> because it's objectively false but yeah. even yeah. you know even youtube uh for all the talk of quote-unquote you know youtube's uh liberal bias uh youtube is notoriously lax at actually allowing people to uh continue to propagate you know fake news uh, they are yeah. notoriously unwilling to spend money on human beings to do work, <laughs> you know, to moderate or to just, yeah. just at a bare minimum, make sure that no one is just out and out lying, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, to the credit, like YouTube, of course, because of its scale, it's they, the number of minutes that are uploaded to YouTube, you know, within any given day, you know, it's insane. And it's difficult for, a company to moderate everything. So I can kind of sympathize in that regard, but, you know, do they have to scale that big? Because yeah. <laughs> they yeah. kind of asked for it. Yeah, you know, I, I, I would probably point to the, the tendency, the, increase, the increasing tendency of YouTube to favor, you know, large corporate channels over small independent yes. creators. You know, YouTube has, has transformed, you know, I remember when YouTube was a place where you would just find cat videos and, I don't know, dash cam videos from Russia. <laughs> um, but nowadays, you've got multi-million uh, uh, subscriber channels, uh, people like PewDiePie, who are these you know, multi-millionaires, these massive media presences that really you know, shape the way that people think in ways that I don't think anyone who imagined you know, what YouTube would uh, you know, become. And that really, that's a, that's a, you know, a strange position. But it, it really, is, yeah. it, you know, I... I, I I really think that uh, uh, big tech is actually a lot more reactionary um, than uh, it actually appears. And, and of course, let me lay out my argument, and, and you can sort of confirm or deny it from your own personal experience. I think oh, yeah, that I'm sure. <laughs> I think that a lot of programmers, and my experience with a lot of programmers, is a lot of them tend to think very highly of themselves, uh, <laughs> and uh, especially engineers. But uh, let me not talk about engineers. But a lot of programmers <laughs> tend to think uh, very highly of themselves, but they tend to think of themselves as individuals who succeed or fail of their own individual merits. I think there's a, a sense of individualism that pervades sort of the tech industry as a whole that, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not part of a team, you know, that did stuff. It's like, I'm, and I'm the one who did this, or, you know, I, even if there are teams, you know, it, it tends to be dominated by a few strong personalities. And I feel one of the reasons why this tends to be very reactionary is that it because you tie so much of your self-worth so much of your perception of yourself into a singular i did everything you know myself you know that is why of course uh, big tech is propagated of, of uh with myths of like uh you know people like elon musk and so on you know these guys like oh you know i was this brilliant guy and i worked in a garage and then i built a billion dollar empire you know just because i'm a big brained rick and morty watcher you know and <laughs> yeah <laughs> i i had to make the joke and I think like these two things, this tendency towards like this rugged individualism, and also I think this inability to be very introspective, I think it makes people very uh, wrapped up in the status quo. And because people tend to be wrapped up in the status quo and our status quo is t quite toxic, I feel like a lot of these people harbor views that they don't realize are actually fairly right wing. They just kind of think that that's what everyone else thinks. And, you know, that's how you get like programmers who uh yeah. are you know they they're quote unquote you know for equal rights but then when you start pushing them on this you know then they start saying things like 1350 and you know 
if uh, mm-hmm. trans people, you know, trans people are mentally ill, you know, because I saw it on uh, Jordan Peterson, you know, it, it, it's it's this. Uh, would you would you would you say I'm off the mark? So I guess well, onto your first point, I would say I agree with you in the sense, although it kind of depends on the type of developer we're talking about, because. Mm. You get those definitely, um, and I've seen it myself. Um, especially those are the ones that I guess you would call like rock star programmers, mm. the ones that you know really shine, and you know businesses love because they do lots of work in you know uh, short periods of time for one person's and, salary. <laughs> yeah, basically, um, and then you get the other ones who kind of just you know, do their job and, you know, do their tickets and, you know, then move on with their day. And I've kind of like alternated between the two in some ways, because in when, uh, like when I was younger, like I did feel that like personal accomplishment, but now more or less today is I'm even personally like struggling with like imposter syndrome because I'm looking <laughs> at my co- at my code. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? I don't know. <laughs> oh, I've been there. Um, but at least with the debates, well, well, not really debates. I've had discussions. I've been trying, like I said, with uh, especially uh, discussing, like, say, my personal life with my colleagues. I try and avoid it. And likewise, mm. I try and avoid fights or debates as much as I can, although I've engaged in a few. And at least in the teams that I've had, you know, I've had discussions where I've tried to explain, you know, the classic, you know, helicopter joke. You know, mm-hmm. I identify as X. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, for some reason, it never gets old. Uh, you know, they can tell the same joke multiple <laughs> times, and it never gets old. And I tried to explain, you know, to say some colleagues, um, where uh, and trying to under- help them understand what's the differentiation between you know biological sex and gender, mm. and how do people who say identifies non-binary like how does that work hmm. and i mean and the, it's, it's tricky because it's not an easy topic to just discuss yeah uh you could go as far as to like say go into gender essentialism but that you know has its own sort of yeah that's a, aspects <laughs> that's a minefield exactly and i mean i can't uh, exactly quote judith butler because that's quite uh you know difficult i think to comprehend for a lot of people even myself i mm. i struggled with it initially it's basically with my help with the help of like bread tube to even begin to understand that concept yeah uh um, you, you know it what you you know what you're talking about the, the this difficulty of talking around stuff you know it, it it's made me sort of realize that there is another reason, I think, why a lot of programmers are, you know, reactionary leaning, if not out and out reactionary. And I think it has to do with basically the way that they are trained and the way that they yes. are uh, conditioned in that environment. Uh, so, you know, we both went through a university. We both went through the ringer. Yes. Obviously, we took very different paths. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, yeah, I even, like, like, like as you know, I've went through my little reactionary stage you know yeah yeah uh, I, no. <laughs> I i was like way into the new atheist movement and then yeah slowly kind of grew out of that you know yeah it i i think um i think the way it is so here are here are some of my issues i think one of the big problems is that there is the disdain for humanity subjects in stem mm. 
there is a yes. you know it, it ranges from a casual disregard to a vitriolic hatred like it, I, you know i've seen people in 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 stem fields uh who have this vitriolic hatred to the idea that maybe just maybe there is something to learn that isn't something you know that is a hard science and yeah. that yeah. is definitely a problem because a lot of these people will come out of their university education now look i i, I definitely think a university should you know prepare you uh you know to, to for you know you can go to university for a career you know i think that's certainly valid and a lot of people don't have an option but i do think that you should also go to university because it will just broaden your horizons and i feel like a lot of the STEM degrees that people pursue don't give them any exposure to humanities subjects. And so they, they grow up thinking that A, there are the special special snowflakes because engineering is difficult and you know it, is, yeah. uh, it, it they're you know they can do something that you know many of their friends probably couldn't. But you know, I would I would argue that many of those those guys can't actually critically analyze a piece of literature. <laughs> you know, that's why we have so many Star Wars fans that out and out don't know how to really think about Star Wars. <laughs> um, yeah, sure. yeah, so it, it, it's, it's the way that they're taught uh, that produces these people. Because if you grow up thinking, you know, that you are, you know, a, a big brain, smarty pants, and, you know, you, you engineering tends to pay, you know, engineering, STEM, all of these things tends to pay more than humanities subjects, obviously. And so you, you develop a bit of an overinflated uh, ego. But the other problem is you're never taught to think critically about anything else that isn't the thing that you're, you know, uh, specialized for and when someone comes along maybe that person has blue hair and then they start talking about you know uh, a microaggression or they start talking about uh you know gender being fluid that is going to go against all of the training that you maybe got in high school right because in maybe in high school yes. no one ever sat you down and said hey uh sex and gender are two separate things they're both in a spectrum uh you know there are people who uh are intersex there are people who are you know non-binary no one ever told them that you know our high school education system is still leagues behind you know uh some kids are even lucky if they get like a sex ed so yeah, yeah. It's, it's like a perfect storm yeah i even remember like as a sort of complete aside i remember i had to correct i think the teacher when like we were discussing about the legality of like gay sex or whatever or the age of consent mm. and still said that the age of consent is 21 and i had to like go up to the teacher and say um actually it's it's the same you know straight couples now that that got abolished in two, <laughs> 2005 oh my um, word you're, you're you're many years out of date <laughs> oh my word yeah, it, yeah it's this perfect storm but you know of course the programmers are only only one yeah. side of the equation right and that is a yeah. there is a great segue into uh sort of our next uh uh discussion and that is uh the fish rotting at the head namely uh a great part of corporate culture is actually not very liberal at all <laughs> um it is in fact mm -hmm. fairly conservative and in some cases fairly reactionary um and my perfect uh, example of this is uh, ubisoft um so for those of you who don't know, um, Ubisoft is one of the largest game companies in Europe. Uh, until re very, very recently, it was the most valuable company before it was dethroned by uh, CG Project Red. Um, and uh, they very recently uh, had a scandal where um, basically the uh, company uh, was uh, accused of disrupting and... Um, basically downplaying, you know, kind of 
trying to bury uh, allegations and um, uh, sort of uh, allegations and uh, charges of you know, sort of sexual misconduct and sexual abuse. Uh, I guess content warning. Um, we might talk a little bit about some of this stuff, but I, I will try to keep it um, you know fairly light. Uh, so, do you know much about the Ubisoft company? Well, I mean, <laughs> I only really knew uh, know of them because I was a huge fan of Prince of Persia back in the day. Ah, Prince of Persia. I, I've never... <laughs> I, I, I have to be honest, I haven't ever kept up with them because like, when I played Far Cry 2, mm. I wasn't the biggest fan of it and I kind of just, you know, mm. forgot about Ubisoft until... Um, you know, recently, because uh, you brought it up, and then I looked up the sort of Jim Sterling, uh, mm. you know, videos about it, and I looked up some articles on it as well, and was kind yeah. of, you know, really shocked. I um, didn't realize that they'd yeah. gotten this back. <laughs> uh, uh, viewers at home, uh, if you are looking for uh, good, I, I would argue, leftist news about the games industry, uh, check out Jim Sterling. Uh, his YouTube channel it will probably be in the link, uh, linked in the description. Uh, he's uh, very gay and very anti-capitalist, and uh, we need more voices like him, honestly. Um, my, <laughs> uh, just as another quick aside, I will probably take to my my grave. Uh, you know, Prince. I think it's Prince of Persia Two has one of the mm-hmm. best romances of any video game. Uh, that has ever been uh, sort of created. I feel like the characters, uh, the, the the prince and his romantic interest are actual people and they yeah. develop a real relationship over the course of the story. And it's something that I feel like a lot of video games don't know how to do decades later. <laughs> uh, Wait, just to make sure, we're talking about the two, the 2D uh, the 2D game, the sequel. Uh, or are we talking about Warrior Within? Uh, Hmm, I think it, it's been years. Is it? Is it not Sands of Time? Ooh, dang, I'd have to look it up. But uh, there... Sands of Time, I think it's the fourth game because ah, there was no, that Prince no. of Persia 3D that everyone hated. No, for it's, good reason. It, it, it's it's the second Prince of Persia game that I, if I recall oh, correctly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, all right then. I know what you're so uh, about. All right. my my experience with Ubisoft is, uh, I'd say arguably a little bit more because they publish a lot of games that I like. Uh, you know, Settlers, the Anno game series. Uh, wait, no, not the Anno, the, the Settler game series and um, a lot of the, uh, well, some of the Tom Clancy games. Ah, my my brother is big into military shooters and I can't really escape them. <laughs> 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 Even though they are just propaganda, you know. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, Heroes of Might and Magic, a lot of really uh, nice old games. I, I Ubisoft had a hand in, in sort of developing and publishing and it, it's weird sort of looking at them. I think a lot of people kind of think of them as this oh, you know, they're they're very French so, you know, they're probably like a little bit eccentric and a little bit weird. Um, so, yeah, to give you a bit of history, um, the Ubisoft uh, Entertainment Corporation uh, started in 1986, which is actually not that long ago, um, if you think about it. And it was started by mm-hmm. uh, five brothers from the family of uh, Guimont. I am probably butchering that pronunciation. <laughs> uh, but when it started, it was a, you know, a fairly small company. It's five guys who are all you know, brothers. We're all just going to make games. you know. And then over the years, it became uh, one of the biggest uh, publishers, right? Uh, I feel like Ubisoft doesn't really develop their games really so much anymore, but they've really become like 
essentially in the industry as publishers. And uh, we could probably do a, a whole episode on you know video game publishers and whether or not they're actually needed. But uh, the family to this day still retains essentially executive control over the um, over uh, over the company. You know, uh, many of the people who are in top control positions, top uh, you know managerial positions, are still. Uh, you know, descendant from the family or, you know, inside the family. And that is very unusual, you know, of mm -hmm. course, in a, in tech, because typically, you know, tech is kind of resistant to uh, lots of like, quote unquote, you know, family uh, dynasties, right? You know, Bill Gates doesn't really have like a bunch of his children in Microsoft Corporation. Um, but the whole, the, this entire family uh, is still, you know, in, in, in control. So what has happened? So essentially, uh, a number of people inside the company made claims that they were being harassed and abused, uh, and uh, this this happened sort of, um, uh, I guess, within the broader context of Me Too. Um, but you know, we've got journalists like Jason Trier, who is probably one of the only good games journalists left, right? Uh, and Ubisoft got into a lot of hot water for this because you know, uh, for the most part, they ignored or uh, basically retaliated against the people who were issuing the, you know, the allegations. Um, we've got people who have been detailing particularly that the abuse is kind of centered towards uh, women. And, you know, people make, uh, in, in, inside the publishing house, you've got staff that openly make misogynistic racist comments. And even senior executives themselves are being accused of, you know, groping their staff and stuff like that. Um, uh, one particular example that I, I'm quoting from a, a Bloomberg article is that um, one of the uh, victims, uh, the company, uh, fired the lady's boss and gave her a gift card, and that's all they did with regards to the wow. the, the allegations, you know, that were brought against him. He wasn't, you know, criminally indicted or anything like that. And uh, yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> It's, um, you know, this is kind of weird because Assassin's Creed is one of the, is, is one of the, uh, well, not Assassin's Creed, but Ubisoft in general, I feel, is one of the companies nowadays that gets a lot of flack uh, from quote-unquote gamers uh, with a capital G for having gone woke, you know? Oh, yeah. no, they have female player characters in Assassin's Creed. And, you know, uh, Daniel, I kid you not, uh, one of the reasons that was cited by in-house executive staff for why um, it, I think it was Assassin's Creed uh, Unity, why it didn't have a female playable character was because women are too much work to do. This, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this from a game that has a period authentic recreation of Notre Dame, right? Women are yeah. too much work to do. Yeah, give me a break. So no, exactly, that's just, that's just dumb. Yeah, it it it, it it's completely insane. But you know, nevertheless, uh, now nowadays they're maybe they're a little bit better. Uh, they have LGBT characters. You can have uh, same-sex relationships. Um, you know, in I think it's Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and I think possibly in the new one Valhalla. Uh, but mm -hmm. you know, the gamers, capital G gamers, they will throw their hands up and uh, you know accuse them of going woke, and therefore the company will go broke. But you know, U Ubisoft remains as uh, as powerful as ever. I, um, yeah. 
I mean, I even see this um, pushback uh, very recently. I made the mistake of scrolling on Reddit, oh, no. and <laughs> I regretted it since. <sighs> but uh, I did come across, um, you know, there was a lot of pushback against the latest Call of Duty. I think it's uh, Call of Duty Cold War, but yes. don't quote yeah. me on that. I, oh yeah, so apparently there's an option for, you know, to just uh, select, say, a non-binary gender, and apparently that's the end of the world. Oh no, the end yeah. of Western civilization is upon us. Oh no, Chris. Uh, Gather your muskets. It's it's a um, it's a it's it's not political, right? You know, I, I've seen the argument. It's not political to go and commit war crimes uh, for President uh, Ronald Reagan, but it is political to be non-binary or you know uh, you know non-white, and that is just. Politics is just uh, something that doesn't have a consensus, hmm. apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you see, this is this is why I don't take, uh, you know, I don't take, um, uh, I don't take uh, conservatives seriously when they tell me that you know tech has a good and good liberal bias because, you know, here are people who are openly you know bigoted. These people are conservatives, mm -hmm. and yet. Just because they are to the left of, I don't know, you know, white nationalists or neo-Nazis, that they are they are called uh, to book, and that is that is insane to me. That is just insane. I mean, yeah, that's also the thing I think a lot of people forget is that a lot of the sort of progressive ideas that we see now coming in, especially in video games, is primarily because the market for video games is quite young, and you know, as is often the case, you know, young people tend to be more progressive. Yeah. Uh, you know, history has always shown that. Um, you know, even back in the early 2000s, while ever, everyone else was dragging their feet around the, you know, gay marriage debate, you know, sort of young people were spearheading the sort of movement and trying to legalize gay marriage. And in this case, you know, corporations, these game developers, they know that, you know, hey, People who play video games tend to be in their sort of late teens, you know, twenties, mm. maybe like early thirties, you know, before we start getting responsibility. <laughs> it's a yeah. joke, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. So, yeah, but yeah, you get what I mean. So it's like, yeah, it's uh, you know, I, I've you know I've always said this. Um, capitalism is amoral, right? Yeah. So. Uh, you know, that's amoral with an A. Uh, so what that means is the system doesn't apply moral value to decisions. It doesn't make moral considerations, right? The only thing that matters is whether or not you make more money. And so when you are confronted with something, a choice that is moral but makes less money, or something that is immoral and makes more money, then capitalism mm -hmm. just shrugs its shoulders and go, well, uh, I guess we do whatever makes more money. And exactly, yeah. it, it's not a, a moral system, right? And I feel like a lot of people, uh, you know, some people on the right, but also I guess maybe some people on the left, they might straw man this position into something like, oh, I think that capitalism is somehow like immoral, you know, that there is some kind of, and maybe, you know, and to, to some, some extent, if we think about it as a system of exploitation, it is, but just sort of the basic way that it functions is, is it doesn't make moral considerations, right? It's immoral because... Uh, it doesn't consider whether or not something is actually good before it, you know, uh, pushes it. And like, 
in 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 the case of like uh, you know Ubisoft uh, and these companies, what they've come mm-hmm. to realize is there are more people besides just conservative men. You know, um, exactly. I uh, I wrote an article a while back um, for uh, my blog. <laughs> well, I I wrote a blog post. <laughs> Let me not keep my own own horn here, but uh, you know, I I was looking at some research about who plays games, and uh, I found out that actually um, the percentage of, of the, sort of the demographic shift is really that really women are playing games in greater proportions, you know, ever before. It's just that um, there are genres of gaming that are very hostile to women that preclude yeah. them from really dipping their toes in. You know, I have uh, female friends and when they talk to tell me about their experiences, you know, they don't use a mic because if they do, someone is going to be weird to them and they don't want to do that. You know, no one wants to be yeah, harassed just for trying to, you know, uh, play Dota 2 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Even myself, I'm way too, like, uh, hesitant to play mm-hmm. games online, to be honest, because, you know, I even fear that sort of toxicity. So I've avoided, like, online gaming for a very long time. Yeah, um, I, I, I as a as a I mean, rule stay away from online gaming. Yeah, and I mean and that's the thing is that I'm more or less the ideal target. Even I think that's a it's a little yikesy. Mm. I I, I yeah. just I, I want to go over some some specific examples because I I feel like this really kind of hammer home like there is this delusional fantasy that uh, big tech is. Uh, conservative i mean liberal uh so there are the last three uh assassin's creed games uh, syndicate origins and odyssey um mm-hmm. excluding valhalla which is the new one i there are too many assassin's creed games <laughs> so uh, in assassin's creed syndicate uh you've got two protagonists uh jacob uh and evie right uh brother and sister um, mm-hmm. Originally, the developers, uh, the early out- outline was okay. W- they're twins. We'll just give them equal time, right? Uh, but then in the end, Jacob ended up being the predominant sort of main character, and Evie is kind of her, her own background uh, character. Then in Origins, you've got a male character called Bayek, and he mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, he's an assassin. Uh, and the the story was uh, originally he was going to die, and his wife Aya would take over. But then, gradually, what happened? Her role shrank and shrank and shrank, and Bayek became the leading figure, and it, it became a your dad kind of game, where it's like, oh, I'm a, I'm this thirty-ish, forty-ish something guy, and I'm just gonna emote over, you know, my family and da da da. And then flashback to a uh, flash to Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and it's even more blatant, right? We've got the we've got the sibling uh, Cassandra and uh, Alexios, right? To, to Greek assassins. But here's the kicker. Alexios was the affirmative action character because originally the developers wanted to just tell the story with Cassandra and only later on, <laughs> later on, they were told by management, you can't do that. You have to have a man in it. Otherwise, the game won't sell. And yeah. that's just insane. <laughs> yeah, it is. But I think it, it loops back to, you know, like what you were saying earlier i mean like ultimately i think it comes down to progressivism and they want to kind of signal that they that we are progressive but when you break it down you know we fall into the same sort of patterns that we always have yeah yeah it 
unless you are actively trying to uh, really push, you know, the the sort of the boundaries, uh, then unfortunately you end up just circling the wagons. You know, um, exactly. there are games I mean, would, yeah. Uh, I know. So like even just trying to think in the head. So uh, just off the top of my head, I can only really think of like three big, uh, you know, female protagonists in video games. And of course, like everyone knows Lara Croft and, uh, you know, I think quite a few people know Beyond Good and Evil, which I actually, I yes. think that was a Ubisoft game as uh, well. That's uh, Jade. <laughs> yeah, Jade. Yes. And, um, and then of course, Samus Aran. Hmm. And I mean, those were of course fairly successful games. I mean, Tomb Raider, of course, was big in the 90s. But I mean, even then, um, and I mean, look, this uh, this was a bit of a yikesy takes of uh, take of mine before. Like I was, uh, you know, doing my reactionary stage. <laughs> I was like thinking, oh, Tomb Raider is this this great achievement in feminism. It's like, oh, fantastic. And then kind of I realized, nah, nah, fam, this is. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, even just more recently, Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, that is a, a story. Now, I've never played it because I don't have a, a PlayStation, but there's a, a female protagonist in that game, and she does, you know, the, the game did well. I think it got, uh, you know, it sold a couple of million copies. So it, it, it I, and, you know, even kind of more recently, like uh, Resident Evil. Resident Evil, uh, the remake, um yeah. remake two now you they you know oh, you mean resident evil 3 the uh yeah. with jill valentine yeah sorry yeah, yeah resident yeah. evil 3 i got it mixed up uh and you've got jill valentine it's like yeah you can make games with other kinds of people and people will still play them it's it's only the most petulant small-minded person who would exactly. uh stand in the way of a good experience or just a video game in general with the idea that they can't relate to the person, you know, because like, how many other people are forced to play games to people that they can't relate to, you know? <laughs> exactly. So, so every every like female gamer has to play games with a male protagonist and just has to like <laughs> is forced to just identify with that. But men, no, you you can't identify with a woman. Yeah, exactly. It's it's completely insane, and it 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 really kind of you know, and it, arguably, I would argue it hurts men because. Uh, they exactly. don't really learn how to treat women or see pe a woman as people because, you know, if you can put your experiences, um, if you can put yourself into the experience of, an, of another person and, you know, tell a story and learn something, then you can, you can understand that other person. And if you're unwilling to play a game because the protagonist is a woman and, you know, I, I have to differentiate here. There are, are a lot of, I hate to say this, but there are a lot of like anime games where the protagonist yeah. is like a very scadly clant lady and she's she's very you know she's not like bayonetta who is meant to be i i would argue more of an empowering woman you know who's more uh in control of herself and making choices for herself but like you know then you see a lot of anime games and it's like Ugh, okay your idea of you're only willing to play as a woman if you can see her as a sex object and that's not yeah that's not good, right? <laughs> because yeah. I can't, I can't really comment on it because, to be honest, my anime knowledge is extremely bad. I've only watched Ghost in the Shell. Ah, uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know much about anime either. Uh, I, one of these days, I have to get someone else on to talk about anime and like the weird uh, stuff about that. But like, yeah, you know, if you can't play as someone, imagine you know, many men would get very upset if they played a game and the male character was 
a, a sex object designed by woman for woman, right? You know, a lot of gamers, yeah. I think, have this very, uh, they have this false dichotomy where they see a scantily clad woman and they go, aha, okay, that's, you know, that's titillation or whatever. But then they look yes. at the counterpart male, like Kratos is a good example. He's a mm -hmm. buff, angry man, right? He's a buff, yeah. angry, violent man. He's not a female fantasy, right? If you ask women what they're mm -hmm. into, most of them are it's not into Kratos. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're and, in, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's this weird double standard. And it's like, okay, well, you're perfectly fine making a woman, you know, play as this or that, but you're not willing to, you know, allow. And it's like, come on, guys. Really? Yeah. Part of me was like, I had this kind of thought experiment. Like, uh, I think it was actually a few weeks ago. I had this like thought experiment. Um, you know, I was watching, I think, Civi 11's video on Duke Nukem mm. 3D. And I was kind of just like thinking, like, what if the tables were turned? What if uh, you had, you know, a female protagonist, you know, and then you had all these, you know, instead of saving the babes, you know, scantily clad men. Scantily <laughs> clad men. You know, I, I, like, I, I think that would actually be an interesting game. I would like that, personally. But I, you know uh, what? That's I'm, just me. I'm actually, you know, I'm actually on board with that. Uh, just to, to, to talk again, we, we are getting a little bit sidetracked, but I, no, I do enjoy sorry. this conversation. No, I, I, I love it. This is this is why I bring these people on, because I, I want to go through the breadth of the, uh, you know, discussions about these topics. But um, I was I was reading a Warhammer book. And I, um, <laughs> Warhammer is not the most progressive thing. Uh, if anyone has seen videos on my channel, you know the issues that I have with it. Uh, but this is Warhammer Fantasy. And I remember seeing like a dark elf like Lord, right? And, you know, dark mm -hmm. elves are the evil elves and, you know, they're slavers and all of that stuff. But I was looking at a picture of like a dark elf sitting on a throne and he's surrounded by like his, his harem, right? His scantily mm -hmm. clad, you know, for lack of a better word, slaves. But I noticed prominently amongst the amongst the female elves are two male elves <laughs> and i oh. thought to myself that's really interesting okay so this guy is a power and it's, it's it's he's not like being made fun of he's clearly being just demonstrated as i'm the alpha chat in this room like everyone is <laughs> my servant and i have these two buff men who are oiled up and it's like oh okay that's really interesting you know, I, I would have never expected to see something like that, but I'm actually surprised. You know, that's a more interesting story to me uh, because it, it treads new ground. Uh, yeah. And also, I think it's a nice dichotomy to contrast, oh, you know, they're slavers and evil, uh, but at the same time, they're really more progressive in some respects than other people. Like, you, you can't, you couldn't imagine, like, the Space Marines just having, like, an out-and-out -out gay character, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think... By now, uh, you as the, the viewer should have, uh, or listener, uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast, um, should have taken out this idea that video games are, well, the big tech as a whole is not really a, a liberal thing. It's not really a liberal institution. Sure, there are some people who are left-leaning. I would argue that, you know, many, you know, many, prog many programmers and stuff like that can be very left-leaning, you know. Um, there are, like... For every you know reactionary you know dude bro, there's probably a developer who's a trans person who's just trying to make a game you know about their experience. I've seen plenty of those, and it's 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 really structural reasons why that is the case. You know, we've got gamers, a lot gamers, but we've got people who come into the industry who are educated in a, such a way that they don't think about social issues. 
And just because they don't get any awareness about social issues, chances are they're probably going to be, you know, centrist, quote unquote, centrist types. But it's very easy to push those people to the right. Because, you know, if, if, if you're one of those guys and you were told in high school, there's men and women, right? And someone comes up to you and tells you, no, they don't agree with that. They're non-binary. You're not going to be most likely predisposed to accepting that, you know? So there are structural reasons. But on the other hand, you know, uh, game, game companies, big tech companies are still capitalist corporations, right? They are still run, you know, kind of in a top-down dictatorial style. And they want to make money. <laughs> the fact that they don't want to, uh, the fact that they want to make, you know, all the money in the world, and they can only do that if they aren't, you know, out and out supporting neo-Nazis and, you know, all of that stuff, um, is just indicative of their greed. It has very little to do with their social values because, you know, as you mentioned, time and again, when they're asked to do something serious, you know, when they're asked to take uh, um, persecution of women in the workplace seriously, they flake. <laughs> they don't do it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, and even I think uh, there was even that case I think with Google as well, where if I understand correctly, the creator of Android was also accused of sexual assault, and they were also dragging their feet on that as well. Yeah, it it it's it's so bizarre because you know on the one hand you've got these people who are in these big positions of power, right, and they barely face any any consequences for their misbehavior, and they just dominate the entire industry and. Even though they are, you know, even though they might be, you know, not uh, as bad as they could be, they're still pretty bad. And um, we we always have to remember as a, a, a people that we are more lucky that corporations think they can sell to us than if it were not the case, right? You know, I always tell people that yeah, it's always performative, literally v virtue signaling. But we are lucky that we live in the world where corporations think that that is the better play, because we could easily be living in the world where corporations don't think that, where they, where the costs of pretending to care about trans issues, LGBT issues, uh, you know, um, all of these things, uh, is higher than the benefits of caring about those issues. From you know, sponsoring a, a float at Pride, for instance, you know. Uh, we could easily live in the world where corporations actually side with the, the conservatives and keep suppressing. And in some cases, many of these corporations still do. Um, yeah, like Facebook. <laughs> I, uh, I I always bring this up and people are always surprised, but I'm pretty sure the... Uh, the are you familiar with the... Uh, with, I think it's Dr. Utger Pizza. P Dr. Utger Pizza. No, sorry, it doesn't sound familiar to me. So, Dr. Utker is a uh, brand of pizza that is, uh, it's a German company, right? Uh, and uh, you'll you'll never believe this, but uh, they, oh, uh, yeah, uh, one of the, during the 40s, uh, uh, one of the, the, basically the guy in charge was a member of the Waffen-SS. Yeah. I, I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, they supplied, uh, you know, things to the German army, uh, pudding mixes and uh, ammo. Uh, and apparently they were using slave labor uh, to make oh, this stuff. Geez. And uh, yeah, you'll never believe this, but according, you know, at, at least according to Wikipedia and an article that was, you know, linked uh, as a reference, but they still have a bust of a Nazi in the corpor corporation headquarters. So 
mm-hmm. yeah, uh, things don't actually change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's tricky to get the uh, to get companies to change. And that brings us to the last point of discussions, because I didn't want to leave people with this, you know, with with the feeling of oh, you know, corporations actually kind of suck. Uh, and that is, what can we do about it? Uh, and uh, I, I've always, you know, argued we should unionize programmers, we should unionize game developers, we should unionize tech. Uh, how do you feel about that? So yeah. So first off, I will probably just say that I'm not uh, super, um, I would say, educated on this issue on these issues, especially regarding unionization. Mm-hmm. Pardon me. Uh, so you know, um, I'm gonna I think concede to you here for most <laughs> stuff because most of uh, kind of what I understand is sort of very kind of elementary. Mm. But uh, in terms of I think with game developers especially, I do think they should be unionized because I, I think it's, uh, you know a lot of game developers are actually treated really badly mm. um, in the game industry. I think I can think off the top of my head telltale games you know basically you know releasing this game and then retrenching their staff yeah. basically just to you know retain profits um, I, also you know i would i would chime in uh, also you know recently we've got like rockstar games crunching its developers to make uh, yes. red dead 2 uh even more recently uh cd project red yeah guys they're they're not the good ones they're not one of the good ones crunching their staff to make cyberpunk so it really is a systemic yeah. issue um, yeah, the the crunch. I would say though that I mean it is a game develop a uh, game developer term, but it is kind of an issue in software in general, mm. uh, particularly within the agile sort of development sphere, oh, where yeah. Yeah. You know, this whole idea that okay, so we need to split our work into iterations and uh, you know estimate you know points and figure out how much work can we get done within an iteration. But very often the you know developers are forced to compromise you know co- code quality mm-hmm. uh, testing um, you know just rack up technical debt because you need to get X feature done by a certain date. Um, a lot of um, and- uh, uh, I was just gonna say a lot of um, uh, Ubisoft uh, they they get a lot of accusations uh, where they have to constantly be designing around the whims of the executives and constantly yes. shifting design. Uh, even though they they set out oh, we're going to make it this way, then the executives like that's boring. Do it differently, and then they have to throw yes. away you know lots of work and just pivot immediately, and it it's not good. You know, um, basically, and that creates a lot of technical debt in the long run. And I mean, the game quality suffer. I mean, uh, I mean, I think we all know. You know, you buy a new video game and then all of a sudden you have to download this 60 gigabyte patch because the developers were forced to rush development. Yeah. Um, and so, I think oh, that's yeah, the no, one aspect yeah. we can sort so, of focus on is... Oh, yeah? Yeah, Sorry. so I, I was just going to talk about what I think unionization could be because I always advocate for unionization. Uh, yeah. I have a video up about why people need to unionize, although it, it probably is a little bit dated. But... Um, Basically, game developers, tech programmers, you know, these kind, everyone basically in the industry, we don't, these guys don't really have much power, right? Even though mm-hmm. I would, I would argue that many of these people are fairly well paid, at least relative to, um, you know, the the work of other people. 
Uh, they are fairly yeah. well compensated, but even then, uh, they don't have much power. If you know, if mm. you guys, if you want to make a game that's your game, you can't work for a big company. That company mm. will override your decisions for most of you know for a lot. They will override your ability to make autonomous decisions to some degree. You know, maybe they won't. Uh, maybe they'll trust you a little bit more. But for the most part, you are at their beck and call. And the problem is that you have no power as an individual to enact any kind of change. So let's say you are part of a development team and you guys are developing, uh, let's say, an Apple, uh, an app. Uh, I don't know, something that um, tells you when uh, the price of fruit is going to go down or something, something dumb like that. (laughs) And then then let's say your boss comes to you and says, okay, um, right now we need you to also develop an Android version of this app. Even though you guys are, you know, developing this Apple thing and you've been doing it for a long time, he just comes to you and he tells you, do this thing. You don't have much in the way of recourse, right? You know, if you, if you're like, Hey, you know, you have to get this, this is the deadline. And it's like, okay, well, they're not going to force you, you know, at gunpoint, but they are going to heavily incentivize you uh, to do overtime, to spend time away, you know, from your family or to miss on your personal life so that you can keep working on this stuff. You don't, if you don't do something right. And this has been well reported in the games industry from people like Jason Trier. If you let, if you try to take time for yourself, if you apply for leave, if you try to work your normal hours, you are letting down your team and it'll drive a wedge between yourself and the team yeah, and the rest and, of your team yeah yeah and it'll make and you'll probably feel bad because maybe you feel like you're letting everyone down but you can't do more work right and it just is a terrible toxic environment but imagine if you had a union imagine if all of your team all of the programmers in the company were in a in a union right and whenever you got you know these unrealistic uh, demands whenever someone when you guys needed more time right then you could go on strike <laughs> And here's yeah. the thing, right? Uh, you guys are in a high skill environment. It's very difficult to get scabs. Uh, for those of you who don't know, a scab is a worker from outside that the company hires to do the work of striking workers, right? Um, and uh, you know, the idea is that a scab will do the work and make the strike ineffective because the capitalist, the owner, is still uh, producing products or whatever, and you're just losing money because you're not able to work, you're not able to get a paycheck, right? Scabs are in, in, uh, a strike-breaking technique. Because as you bring in more scabs, the effect of the strike gets worse and worse because they can still keep producing or making or whatever. And you're just losing money as an individual and you're more incentivized to get back to work. So they can't do that quickly. If the more of you that are in the union, the stronger you'll be because they can't shuffle people around inside the company you know, to do things. And then they have to listen to you because you, you, you have them by the cojones, so to speak, because you are their productive labor. Um, you know, a guy like Yves uh, uh, Guillemot, uh, you know, one of the uh, executives at Ubisoft, he doesn't know how to program games. <laughs> he's not going to, he's not going to be, you know, doing the mocap or the, you know, animation, you know, uh, for a gun or something like that. If all of the programmers decide, hey, enough is enough. We want reasonable deadlines. We want reasonable work hours. No one is, uh, no one is going to be in a position to tell them otherwise, right? And then Ubisoft will have to say, yes, okay, we'll let you do this. And, you know, the the more unionized the company is, the harder it will be to mistreat those workers. Uh, That is sort of basically my little pitch for why developers should unionize. Uh, Let me tell you why they don't. (laughs) Programmers don't like to talk to one another. Uh, Programmers don't like to coordinate on anything outside of 
the next you know commit the next uh you know milestone uh you guys are only you're not really thinking of each other as co-workers but more as cogs right so that's 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 one thing there's a heavy individualistic culture another thing is of course the fact that programmers generally speaking do have fairly good salaries and stuff like that is something that could be dangled over you right because if say you wanted to unionize just you right and you started talking to your coworkers you could be fired like that and you you'd have a you'd lose all that money right you'd lose your 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 well uh your financial uh well-being and that's how they get you right because unless all of you unionized they could get rid of one or two people who are thinking about doing it because the fear of losing that money will keep a small percentage of the people it'll keep the initial momentum from building right if everyone decided to unionize they couldn't do that because then you know the company would have a union and then all of the workers could go on strike and um it's much easier to get rid of the couple of people you know quickly and, and Elon Musk actually does this you know he has a lot of anti-union work in his factory in his Tesla factory they have people who whose job it is in the factory to look out for people who are trying to talk about unionization and to pull those people out of like the gen pop <laughs> it's almost like a prison <laughs> um and i think so, maybe yeah, that's actually what i was going to ask you yeah. about yeah. Uh, with regards to like money because so the main argument when i was kind of looking this up out of curiosity like you know are there such a thing as software development uh, unions and the common argument that i hear is that because demand for software developers is so high and because of course you know salary wise uh you know the pay is good that theoretically if you're unhappy in one position you're just free to resign and go somewhere else mm. um so i kind of what's oh, yeah. your feeling on that that's a, i'm a little like yeah, unsure that's a, that's a good point um i think uh, a lot of people have this idea that uh, union workers are uh generally speaking low skill right uh low mm. skill replaceable people now, I don't think people are like replaceable. I think if you if you have a guy who's went who spent, you know, 20 years of his life in construction, I think he actually knows how to build things. I don't generally think the worst of people uh when it yeah. comes to, you know, their work. Um but I think there is definitely this divide between quote unquote blue collar workers and white collar workers. And I think uh, you are correct. Um because there is this prestige in the games industry, there is this idea that um you know uh you are in high demand if you if you don't like your work conditions you can just uh go and leave uh i feel like uh that is definitely an idea but i don't think it really bears out in in sort of practice because yeah um there are many other reasons why your uh work experience is bad not just you know from a financial perspective like like we said these people are being abused right now mm -hmm. if you are a worker who's being abused and you try to rock the boat you try to do something about it and you just get fired you can be blacklisted from the industry right these people yeah. these executives they're all friends with one another they all run in the same social circles so if you have a reputation for causing trouble and you get fired then you will be thrown out of the industry and you won't be able to get another job because you know let's say you you did file a harassment lawsuit against someone other people you know don't want to want to hire you um Mm -hmm. and that really cuts your ability to, you know to do that exact thing yeah. to get another job um you know this the second sort of thing is actually it's very difficult for lots of people you know to uproot their lives uh a lot of programmers 
have families. You know, as, as difficult as, as this is, you know, to really say, a lot of people in the programming industry aren't just, uh, I hate to say this, but they aren't just isolated uh, nerds who have no social life, right? There are, there are people, mm -hmm. right? And the yeah. idea that you can just uproot your entire life easily, you know, on a whim if you get abused at, a, at your job is kind of a fantasy. Because as we've demonstrated, I think, uh, or at least shown a little bit, this is systemic. All the corporations are like this, right? All of them are like this. So, you know, wherever you move, you still face the same problems. And uh, if you are if you are a person in, person in that position, and you know you know that oh okay well I'm working at Ubisoft, it's rubbish here. You know I'm being abused constantly. If I move to say uh, Activision Blizzard, it's not really going to be that much better. You know it's kind of a devil you know versus the devil you don't know kind of situation, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's definitely another factor. Um, I think a third factor is just that. Uh, when it comes to sort of the ability of people to kind of uproot themselves is that it's kind of generally you know, overplayed. <laughs> uh, programmers are paid a lot, certainly, but uh, in, in the tech industry, in the games industry, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, economic precarity is still, you know, a thing. You could live in a very yeah. expensive area, like uh, say San Francisco, right? Maybe you are getting paid well because you work for Google, but a huge chunk of your salary goes to paying for your rent, right? And your one bedroom apartment. Yeah, your one bedroom apartment. <laughs> and sure, maybe you're making two or three times more than all of your friends in whatever job that they're doing, but you just have to be in an area, you know, because tech isn't everywhere, right? You are not going to mm. move. <laughs> you are not going to move from Silicon Valley uh, you know, to a place uh, like r rural Missouri, you know, for a tech job, you're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. Even though there are, you know, many tech companies, tech tends to be concentrated in a few areas. And, you know, one of the problems of that is housing prices, right? Yeah. Are you really going to gamble being homeless? <laughs> you know? No, no. Exactly. Uh, so it, there are, there are good reasons, you know, there are some potentially good arguments, maybe against, you know, unionization, maybe, uh, video gamers, uh, game developers, software guys should think of themselves more as guilds. I, I've heard arguments mm -hmm. that maybe instead of forming into unions, they should form into guilds, like, uh, you know, for example, the Screen Actors Guild, you know, in the movie industry, yeah. where they've got these guild associations. But arguably, I think the, the it, it, that's really kind of splitting hairs. I feel like the big problem is there has to be organization and there has to be uh, solidarity, right? There has to be a move mm -hmm. by developers, by programmers, by animators, to come together and organize their labor, right? And a good, a perfect example of this is voice actors. Voice actors have union representation, right? And as a result, voice actors don't tend to be abused. <laughs> um, yeah. Whenever, if you think about like uh, voice actors in video games, right? Many yeah. of them have better working conditions than the programmers that, you know, help make the game. And there is this animosity between, you know, uh, voice actors and, and game developers because, yeah, the voice actors can actually d demand things of the game developer, uh, of the company that the game developers cannot, right? They can get leave when the programmers are all crunching, right? And it, you know, drives resentment. But instead of realizing, hey, we should organize ourselves, it just is used to further divide them. But, um, but yeah, I, I think we've covered this topic uh, quite nicely. Um, I, I certainly had a lot of fun. It's always nice to talk to, you know, as, as someone who has a similar experience. Um, I, 
I, I can say that you know the video game, uh, well, not just the video game, but sort of big tech as a whole uh, has problems with people who are uh, on the outside, shall I say? You know, people of color like myself, LGBT mm-hmm. people like yourself, uh, trans people especially. Oh boy, <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, trans people are always getting the short end of the stick, especially non-binary people. But um, we we have to we have to the first step towards making anything improve is to make people aware of it, right? I think, especially video games, right? We have an opportunity to make gamers realize that their games are not worth the human toil, the human cost, uh, the human suffering, really. Um, and, you know, maybe game developers can get support from game game buyers, I don't know how realistic this is, in, in, in forming unions, in organizing and supporting studios that allow unionization, uh, and, you know, maybe and- even pushing legislation for it. Yeah, and even just taking a selfish spin, like ultimately you're going to get better video games out of this. <laughs> yeah. Because like, you know, some of the worst video games ever created was basically as a result of greed and yeah. <laughs> uh, microtransactions. You know, that was a th- that's a thing. And I don't know if it still is a thing. Oh, it, it totally you know, is. Uh, live services oh, are bigger yeah. and better than ever before. Um, yeah. No, but yeah, you're totally exactly. right. Um, game, we don't need those. Gamers love to complain about how games suck, but then they 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 fixate on oh, you know, Last of Us has a gay character instead of oh, uh, Rockstar uh, are cr- forcing their employees to crunch. It's like uh, actually, if you if game developers and you know the people who made the games had more power if they had a union, then they could argue against things like microtransactions because many of them don't want to monetize their games you know, excessively. They don't want to do this, but a company, uh, an executive is telling them, you have to do this because we have to sell you know, this game. Dead Space, one of my favorite games of all time because I love horror, it was destroyed by EA. And it wasn't destroyed yes. because the developers wanted to make a, a horror game that is also a co-op, but also with microtransactions. No, they wanted to tell a horror story <laughs> in exactly. space. But the company yes. was like, no, you need to sell however many millions of units and make however much profit. And no, that's not, you know, uh, for, I, I, you know, technology doesn't need capitalism, right? It never has really. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's a good note to end it on. Um, yes. Do you want to shout out any of your, you know, any of your projects, anything, you know, do you, where can people reach you um, if they want to hear more from you? Ah, uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't have any big projects. Um, no, so um, uh, I've got my GitHub account, uh, which is DC Rujo. What is it? I can't even <laughs> remember my own. Um, I will. Uh, I will put a link to that in the description. Yes. Um, DC Rujo zero eight seven two. That's my GitHub account, and I've got a Twitter account to cup to bear. You know all sort of one but uh, but I'm currently trying to figure out with Twitter because uh, they suspended my account for some reason so I'm trying to figure out <laughs> uh, yeah so. yeah yeah uh, all right so th- those links will be in the description um, you can follow uh, bite marks on Spotify and you know wherever else you get your podcasts uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel give us a like share us around uh, tell your friends um, Maybe give us a, a buck or two on Patreon if you're, uh, you know, if you're keen. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, good night and be well. Cheers, everyone.